All right. Well, welcome back to this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. And in this week's episode, we are going to continue our conversation with Angela, a caregiver who's been caring for her mother for some years now, who, as if you heard last week's episode, decided that it was time to put mom into a memory care facility. And she talked about that process last week. And if you've not heard that part one, I encourage you to go back and listen to part one before listening to this one, because we're essentially going to pick up the conversation. It'd be good for you to know the backstory as to how we got here. Because from here, we're going to talk about how after spending the necessary time to find a memory care facility that was suitable, that she then had to move her mother to another facility. And we know how challenging it can be to move someone with dementia, just change in general. It's a challenge. So we're going to hear the rest of that story from Angela talking about her mother on this journey of caring for someone with dementia. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Talk a little bit about that, having a change from one memory care facility to another. So the facility, when we moved in, was, it was nice. Um, I really liked the nursing staff in the memory care unit. Um, They were very attentive, committed to residents. um, But something was going on with the management, Um, whether it was the local management or the parent company, I don't know. But a little over two years after she moved in, um, things started falling apart. And um, management really wasn't being open and honest about what was going on. And all I would hear would be rumors from either nurses who I had developed relationships with, um, over the two years my mom had been there or other uh, family members who had loved ones in the memory care unit. But moving someone, as you said, is a big, it's a big issue. It's a big decision. You don't want to do it if you don't have to. Um, If you're in a facility and your loved one is not being cared for, move them. That wasn't the case for my mother. My mother was being cared for by people who were so committed to the residents and just to their profession that even though sometimes they were not getting paid, they continued to come to work. Mm, Wow. And so that was a factor. I, I, I knew this wasn't sustainable. I mean, at some point, (laughs) if they're not always getting paid on time, then at some point the facility is going to close. And so I go back to my list because I had the list of places I had visited before. I, it's a smaller list now because I've eliminated some and, you know, there are some new places that have opened up. 
So there's some additions, some deletions, some that I knew, okay, there's no way she can afford this. It's not worth entertaining that discussion. Um, and actually one of the places is where she landed, where I said, she can't afford that. It look, I mean, it's brand new, it's shiny, it, it has to be expensive. And this was a facility that actually posted their rates online. I said, well, she doesn't have that. Mm. <laughs> um, but I happened to be talking to a friend one time and he mentioned that his mother was at a sister facility. So same company um, on the other side of town. And I don't know anything about, you know, that family in terms of whether or not they had long-term care insurance for their mother or whether they were independently wealthy. I do know we grew up in the same neighborhood. So <laughs> okay, All right. it's probably not the case that, you know, we're talking about great wealth. Um, it could be a situation where, you know, family members are chipping in. I don't know what it is, but it's at least worth finding out. And had I not had that conversation, I probably would have never ventured to visit that facility. So my sister was in town and we went to visit. And that's one thing I do want to mention is even though I was taking the lead in this, I did as much as I possibly could to involve my siblings. Um, my brother being here in town that first year, he visited several places with me. When my sisters would come and visit, if I had something scheduled or if it made sense for me to schedule a visit around the time when they were here, um, I did so that they could see for themselves. Um, and so at this particular time, my sister was, one of my sisters was in town. We went to visit and again, you go inside, it's brand new, it's shiny, it's bright. It's, you know, that doesn't mean it's good quality care. Right, right. <laughs> but given the situation where my mother was and the uncertainty of when something was gonna happen that was gonna necessitate a move, um, you can't just sit and wait indefinitely. So um, we talked to the marketing director and took the tour and my sister and I talked and there's a significant gap between my mother's monthly income and their published rate. And so in talking and understanding that I'm not a single woman who only has to consider my own needs. I have to consider the needs of my immediate family as well. Um, I'm not in a position to make a commit, a financial commitment of that magnitude without consulting my husband. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about it, it's at the end of the day, I'm the one who is signing the paperwork. If my siblings don't follow through even though they may fully intend to, um, I'm left holding the bag. My family is left holding the bag. Mm -hmm. And so um, we decided, love the facility. Um, I wish the finances added up. 
Um, but we're going to have to find something that's a little more affordable. And so time continued to pass. And a couple of months passed. Things continued to get worse at the facility. Um, there was another facility like five minutes away that was a little cheaper than this one. Um, and so I was kind of leaning toward that one. A couple of the nurses from the memory care unit were already working there. They were oh. working facilities at the same time because they still needed to pay their bills and they couldn't count on a paycheck where they were. And so there was a degree of, you know, comfort in knowing, okay, my mother could be going someplace that, um, where she'll have some familiar faces in mm -hmm. terms of nurses. And while it was on my list, it still wasn't someplace where I felt excited about placing my mother. Yes, it's clean. Yes, they seem to do a, a good job of caring for the people, but it felt kind of cramped. Mm. Um, I, I just, I, I would have moved her there if there had been no place else. Um, it wasn't someplace that I would have dismissed. And then I got a call from the marketing director at the other place. And she said, you know, I'm hearing more and more things about where your mom is. And I, I know it sounded like you and your sister were, you know, very interested in moving your mom here. What's going on? And I said, we love it, but we can't afford it. And she said, give me a couple of days. And a couple of days passed, she called and she said, this is the lowest we can accept for mom. And that lowest was roughly my mom's income, including her VA benefit that she ultimately did qualify for. Um, and at that time, there had been four years of me being the sole person managing my mother's funds. So um, all of her debt had been paid off. Um, there were no expenses other than necessary expenses for her care. Um, the house had been sold and it was actually sold to my sister. And that is something I would like to revisit at some point about property. Um, okay. That's important for people to know. Um, so the proceeds from selling the house was money that now is available um, to make up any shortfall. But again, you don't know whether your loved one has two months or many, many years in this condition. So you can't make an assumption that, um, sure, there's a gap in income versus expenses, but she has enough savings. Right. Um, but literally, the amount of the discount was approximately the amount of her income. So, or ended up being that her monthly rent was roughly her income. So when we moved her in there, her nest egg at this point, not huge, but you know, some savings wasn't being touched. Look at that. Look at that. Another sign that this yes. was the place for her, uh, because I would think, you know, when they have those published rates, depending on the demand, those are the rates that they charge. They don't necessarily uh, go down and negotiate. So that's good to know. It's also good to hear you, um, you know, talk about the 
VA benefit. And so I would just put a flag on that to let people know if your loved one either served in the military or was married to someone who did. And I heard you say that he fought in the Korean War. I'm not sure if that's an actual requirement that they served it's, during wartime. Is that a requirement? It's a requirement that they serve during periods of war. They didn't have to be deployed. So, but they had to have military service during periods of war. And, um, my father did actually serve in Korea. So that was pretty clear. Okay. Um, but if you go to the VA website, um, they do list the periods of war that are covered. Um, the benefit is for people who need assistance with activities of daily living. And they need to have a diagnosed condition that requires assistance with at least two. Um, if your loved one has a diagnosis of dementia, then almost certainly um, they will be approved based on need. Now, whether they're approved based on financial need, I don't know because my mother wasn't in a situation where there was enough resources for that to have ever been an issue. Got you. Got you. Okay. So I just want to just expand on something you said, activities of daily living. So people know about what that means. So this is if an individual is having issues, say bathing or toileting or eating or sleeping, uh, these types of things, what we call activities or meals, preparing meals, right? These are activities of daily living. And so uh, what she said is we have two or more of those where there's a uh, deficiency, then you would qualify. So just something to look up. So we're not, of course, uh, experts in the field, but just letting you know, this is something that Angela used and it might apply in your situation. And so the sooner, the better, as soon as you find out and you start getting the finance and the health paperwork together, also look into that as an option. So you mentioned property and you wanted to come back and talk a little bit more about that. Let's do that because that could be someone's situation too where they need to have an understanding of how that can come into play, particularly as we're talking about qualifying for different programs and stuff. Right. Um, so for people um, who need long-term care, at some point, it may be necessary to go into a skilled nursing facility. So what we think about as a traditional nursing home. Um, those are cost prohibitive for anyone because of the level of care that at least should be provided. Um, so typically people in a skilled nursing facility require um, Medicaid in order to pay the bills. Um, Medicaid basically supplements your income to cover the difference and you're left with about $50 a month. So almost nothing because of that. Um, Medicare is also very not Medicare, Medicaid, I'm sorry. Medicaid is very um, diligent to make sure that there is no movement of assets immediately before someone applies for Medicaid. So in our situation, because my sister is buying the home, that would be a red flag. Um, was the home sold for less than market value? And they go back a five-year period. So 
that's something else where it's very important to be proactive um, if there are things that you need to do. Um, obviously, as someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not advocating doing anything that is deceptive. But anything that brings scrutiny can extend your process for getting approved for what you need. And so if you're outside of that five-year window, still doing things with integrity, um, then it's a whole lot easier if and when the time comes that you need to apply for Medicaid for your loved one. Yeah, very good. Thank you for mentioning that. And there are, I guess, I don't know what they're called, elder care attorneys, but people who specialize specifically in this. And so if these situations apply to your situation, it might do well for you to consult with one of them and they can, you know, really help walk you through that minefield of things uh, that you should have to pay attention to. I attended a seminar uh, that my credit union offered and they brought in one of these elder care attorneys. And I got to tell you, there's just so much stuff that you wouldn't think about that if, you know, how you're spending the money. So if you're giving gifts, you know, gifts need to be a certain amount or else they're looked that funny when they do that five year look back period. If you're paying loved ones to do some of the care in the home, you really need to give them a 1099 and document that, not just, you know, have the money going out. So just things to think about. And again, we're just letting you know these things exist. If that is your situation, strongly suggest that you do get uh, either a financial advisor or a legal advisor to help with that. All right. Thank you, Angela. This is very good. And I want to now uh, bring us to uh, close here, but first ask what has been the most challenging aspect of the journey? And it sounds like this one has gone now for 10 years. And I know it's a little more independence there early on and a little more hands on uh, here toward the end. And even now, though, uh, your mom is in the uh, memory care. There's still care involved. You don't just kind of go back to doing you know, nothing, you still check on her, you still are involved with finances and all of that. But throughout this journey up to this point, what has been the most challenging? I think it's hard to pinpoint one thing in particular. I think um, in our situation, uh, we've been blessed that my mother still knows us. Mm-hmm. Um and when I say that my mother was diagnosed nine years ago and she still knows who we are, many people are shocked. Um, and, and so I think that would be very troubling to me when I experience that. If Should she live to the point where she no longer recognizes us? But we've been blessed that we haven't had that experience. Um there have been challenges just with family dynamics in the sense of, again, um, sometimes feeling like the workload is not balanced. Um, but I have, I have been blessed to know that, okay, I can go to this sister and she's going to do this. I might feel in, that you know, she could do more, but she's doing something. And um, something as basic before my mother was in the facility 
as basic as taking a vacation is not basic when you're a caregiver because you have to arrange for care when you're away. Um, and even with my brother in the home, he often traveled. Um, so he wasn't always there. And so something as simple as coordinating schedules to say, hey, uh, who can be here in Indianapolis in the case that you know my brother is going to be away? Um, and that's one of the areas where my sisters would kind of work their schedules around vacation time so that I could go away with my family. Um, and that is something that uh, not everyone has the luxury of doing. You know, the, the fact that um, I can get on the phone and say, hey, it looks like we're going to be gone for a couple weeks in July. And conversely, since my brother was in the home when he traveled, um, making sure that I was more intentional about visiting so that days did not go by where my mother was alone. Um, so things like that are challenging. Um, this last year has been very challenging um, for anyone who's had a loved one in a care facility or a hospital, um, not being able to visit and even when we have been able to visit, not being able to touch. Um, as we get older, our hearing declines. And so having to speak through a mask. Um, so my mother can't read my lips because she can't see my lips. And my speech may be more muffled than normal. And even speaking louder doesn't always help. So probably the most difficult has been this last year. Um, the first few weeks of lockdown, it was just um, a void. I, 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 facilities were trying to figure it out. They didn't know what they could or couldn't do. They just knew they couldn't bring people in. And they didn't have the infrastructure in place to enable family members to stay in contact with their loved ones. Um, but things improved over time. It probably took about a month. And so they started out with, hey, you can call on FaceTime. We just need to set up a time and we can do that. Um, for most of the last year, though, as a family, we've gathered on Fridays at 4 p.m. for a Zoom call. Mm. And the first call was a disaster um, <laughs> because the facility arranged the call, but there wasn't someone from the facility present after the call started. So my mother, who's never been computer savvy, who's never used a tablet on her own, wasn't able to navigate what to do um, in that situation. So in this situation, we understood moving forward, we're gonna stick with Zoom because we tried doing FaceTime with more than one person. And we knew that wasn't going to work depending on different devices and not everybody had an iPhone or an iPad. So we couldn't do FaceTime. Most of us weren't on Skype. So Zoom it is. And we kind of, you know, led the facility down that path because that wasn't something that they were offering initially. Um, but 
as a family, my sister sets up the call so that the administrative duties associated with a Zoom call are entirely on someone who's capable. And my mother's just a participant. Um, and so that has been a blessing. And um, as a family, we've literally said we've talked more in the last year than we probably have our entire lives. Look at that. Yeah. Wow. Good, good. Thank you for that. Some good information there. And, you know, some of those challenges. And I imagine this past year has been very, very challenging for just about anyone who, whether you have your uh, loved one in a facility or their home, because you are now confined to the home. You're not able to do things in terms of you know adult day centers, if those were available for you, or even just going out to restaurants and whatnot, everything just changed for everyone. So uh, I know that had to be a rough time on top of whatever else was going on. So you alluded to this. I want to close out with this question around the importance of self-care. You talked about taking a vacation and uh, that's part in my eyes of self-care um, and just being in this sandwich generation and how it's, you know, can be difficult to balance that time of your caregiving on top of the duties that you have already of working and work-life balance and all of that. So can you talk about the importance of self-care and what else do you do or pay attention to in terms of your own self-care? Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Being completely honest, I I don't do enough. And so often um, I just work, 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 work. And then my body says, okay, tonight's going to be a night where after dinner, you're not doing anything because you don't have anything left. Um, And right now I'm working on a project for work that has been very um, all consuming. Uh, It's been a great opportunity professionally for me and I'm really enjoying the work that I'm doing. Um, But I need a vacation. (laughs) My husband needs a vacation. And so that is something that is important. Um, Taking time away, um, taking time away from even caregiving and trusting that your loved one is going to receive the care that they need. So um, I don't have children by birth, but I know in talking to people that first time taking the baby to daycare or that five-year-old to kindergarten, that letting go. Um, As you deal with your aging parents, it's a similar situation where you have to trust that they're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's as if you think, well, no one can take care of them the way I would take care of them. And so you have to deal with that separation anxiety and all that comes along with that. But I understand you did not do it as much as you could, but at least you recognize that that is important to do. And we all, I think, could certainly uh, do more in that regard in terms of self-care. Well, that's all I had in terms of questions. Is there anything else that you would just like to add? Anything you can think of in terms of tips, advice, or parts of the story that we didn't talk about? Um, most 
states and local areas have a council on aging or something with a similar name. Um, that is a wealth of resources. Again, for my mother, who's fiercely independent and proud and, you know, doesn't want to let people in, uh, things such as Meals on Wheels, that was not going to happen for her. Um, but there are resources that um, maybe you need um, reduced fare for taxis for transportation. Those are things that are available to people who are seniors. Um, maybe meal preparation is an issue and you're doing your best to supplement. Um, I know some families who literally disable the oven so that their loved one can't harm themselves. So maybe you can't do the meals every day, but Meals on Wheels um, in our area has historically provided delivery of two meals a day. So there's one delivery, there's a cold meal, and then there's a meal that they, that's a warm meal. And so, um, so food, um, access to the names of lawyers, elder care lawyers. Um, so whatever council on aging exists is a resource. Also, if you, if your loved one is um, at a physician's practice that either specializes in geriatrics or has a geriatric practitioner on staff, um, that practice may have resources or be able to point you in the direction of resources where my mother was going for many years um, post-diagnosis. They would put on seminars um, from time to time throughout the year. Um, so understand that you don't have to do this all on your own. I tend not to share. So the fact that I am having this conversation with you and it's going to be on a podcast is outside of my character, but I think it's important. And so being willing to share your story, but also being willing to ask for help. Um, there are any number of people, some older than me, some younger than me, that are on this journey um, with a loved one. And so the things that you know, be willing to share with others. The things that you don't know, be willing to ask for help. Yeah, what a good word of advice to leave the folks here today. That is wonderful. In fact, the county senior services where I am, uh, they provide in-home care and it's, you know, at a sliding scale, but I mean, the rate is like a dollar or $2 an hour where it's normally 20, $22 an hour. That's and it's based on, amazing. you know, yeah, it's based on income and you can get up to 15 hours a week and they help with, you know, cleaning, mild cleaning and, you know, light cooking and bathing and all that type of stuff. So it is, yeah. Glad you mentioned that the senior services uh, in your area. Check that out. And as uh, Angela said, if you need help, by all means, seek it out wherever it is. And thank you, Angela, for sharing your story. I appreciate that. It was an excellent interview. And I heard you say that this is not normally your character. So even more gratitude for you to step outside of your comfort zone 
and share your story with us here at Dementia in Black and White. Until next time, take care of your loved ones, yes, but also take care of yourself. I'm out. <laughs>